Good morning. Good to see all of you today. Uh, with the uh, annual congregational meeting coming tonight, I'd like to use this Sunday to kind of talk about the vision for our church, sort of where we've come from, where we're going. And I want to thank everybody who's participated in the uh, 24 hours of prayer that we just uh, were doing leading up to tonight's meeting. It's so important to be a praying church. So to get started, I would like to read from Paul's second letter to Timothy, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Paul wrote these words to this young Christian leader. Let's hear God's word. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will no longer listen to sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask that as I speak today, uh, you'll take the, the feelings, the thoughts, the meditation that I've had on these critical issues, Lord, and help, the, help us as a congregation to understand our calling and the unique role that you want us to play in building your kingdom right here in New Jersey. So we ask your spirit now to come and inspire and to instruct. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. There's a new sign going up on churches all across the country. For sale. It's a disturbing and sad trend that's happening here in New Jersey and all across the country. Local churches that are running out of gas, going out of business, and closing up shop. An article in last week's Sunday Star-Ledger talked about churches for sale in New Jersey from Montclair all the way down to Seaside Heights. But it's happening all over the country, and it's only going to get worse in the next decade. According to a Duke University study, the average Protestant church has only about 75 people. And folks, that's barely enough to keep the lights on and to pay for a part-time pastor. Overall, churches in the United States are not in a healthy situation, and the economic setbacks of the last two years have really accelerated some of this decline. And this is serious. It's an issue that that we need to think about as a congregation as we look to our future, and we seek to fulfill our calling to be a community of committed Christ followers who are inwardly strong and outwardly focused. Now, on almost every level, we're kind of bucking the national trends from membership growth and worship attendance to our giving to the number of young people involved in our church to our commitment to missions, and I really praise God for that. But what happens on the larger religious scene will impact us. It's part of the the ocean in which we swim, the context in which we minister. And some of those issues that have led to this decline Well, it's sort of like the oil spilling into the Gulf of Mexico. It's going to wash up on our beach as well. So we need to think clearly about who we are and what God's calling is on this congregation. We're part of the larger church. And for better or worse, we're part of the Presbyterian Church USA, the PCUSA. 
And the decline of our denomination perfectly parallels the decline of Christian denominations and church influence in our culture. Our denominational headquarters in Louisville, Kentucky, just went through another round of budget cuts and layoffs, and there was a lot of moaning and groaning about it. But it's just one piece of a much larger picture that stretches back literally for decades of membership losses, shrinking influence, declining trust. In the last 60 years, since the denomination's heyday back in the mid-1960s, we have lost over half of our church membership. If you were to graph it, it's almost a perfect 45-degree slope, ski slope kind of angle down. If it keeps going, as a denomination, we're done by the year 2044. But statistics don't tell the whole story, and it won't be a nice, smooth decline. There's a big drop coming because most Presbyterian churches are populated by elderly congregations, and they're not reaching young families. So the next decade is going to be devastating to those churches, really pretty brutal. Now, there are local congregations that are growing like ours. The growing churches tend to be larger than average. They tend to be more evangelical like ours. Congregations that are strong enough spiritually and financially and sort of program savvy enough to weather the economic and cultural storms that lie ahead. But we need strong churches. We need strong churches throughout New Jersey and throughout the nation. And during the last few months, I've been reflecting on, well, how did this all happen? How did this happen, particularly in our denomination? But how did the condition of the church in the United States get so bad? Now, there are a lot of things that have contributed to this situation, some spiritual, some cultural, some organizational, some just very practical. And I can't dig into all those reasons today, but I was struck by the parallels between church denominational decline and what has happened to some of the once great corporations in the United States. Companies like Bell Telephone and General Foods and Woolworths and RCA and Bethlehem Steel and American Motors and Eastern Airlines and Lehman Brothers that were once, you know, powerhouses of our economy that have disappeared off the face of the earth. Business author Jim Collins did a book on how corporations decline in America and what he discovered about those companies applies almost exactly to what's been happening with the major denominations. Institutional decline is similar in the business fields and the religious fields. And like those companies, most major denominations that were once mighty institutions in our nation are really now hollow shells. So let me describe Collins' five stages of decline because we need to make sure we do not go down this path. Well, Collins says the first step towards decline is the hubris born of success. Hubris is that prideful overconfidence in ourselves, our systems. You know, it's a pride in our past successes, an arrogance that says, you know, we're invincible, a sense of entitlement, we're supposed to be here, that nothing will ever knock us off our pedestal. His description reminds me of the words of warning written to the Laodicean church in the book of Revelation, where God says, you say I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. If you go all the way back to the 1960s, that was when the, the, the mainline denominations, that was when they were at their peak. The Episcopalians, the Methodists, the Baptists, the, the Presbyterians, United Church of Christ, Lutherans, and so on. 
And that's when all those denominations were really having their heyday. They were riding the wave of the civil rights movement. And they were on the right side of those important issues. And and that's why they look back to that time as being their glory days. But what most people don't recall was that during this decade, there was a massive influx of young men into the seminaries. Why? Why? Well, that was also the time of the Vietnam War. And one of the few ways you could get out of being drafted into the army was to go to seminary. So a lot of college men decided to go to seminary, not out of, out of any religious faith at all, but so they wouldn't have to go to Vietnam. So religion for them took on more, a far more secular kind of social justice model than anything having to do with personal faith or the Bible or salvation. They actually didn't care all that much for the Bible or even for Jesus Christ. Religion for them was a way out, but also a tool for social issues. And they became the pastors of churches in the late 60s and the early 70s. And friends, that was the generation that was lost to the church. These pastors were more committed to their social issues than they were to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they were very feeble in even talking about Jesus. They were the youth pastors that lost my generation of baby boomers. They became the senior pastors of churches in the 1980s that lost Generation X. I could give you countless examples of how bad it was across the denominations. Pastors who needed themselves to even know Jesus, who didn't have anything to say from the pulpit except political diatribes, who saw the church only as a means of social change and were committed only to gaining power in their denominational circles, and they were very good at that. And they were so committed to their political, their particular social agenda that they missed the fact, they missed the fact that the churches were emptying out. They thought they had a lock on religious influence, and they missed all the warning signs. I heard this a thousand times. People will come back eventually. They kept saying it, but guess what? The people didn't come back. Even to this day, our denominational leaders are still pining for the good old days. They're still searching for that new social issue that's going to somehow you know, galvanize their base and, and give them meaning again for their faith. And what they continue to fail to realize is that if your agenda is the same as the secular world, eventually the secular world doesn't need you anymore. And so the most liberal denominations are actually the ones that are declining the fastest because they've been abandoned by the causes that they supported. Colin's second step of decline is the undisciplined pursuit of more. Complacency isn't always at the root of decline. Sometimes it's caused by overreaching, he says, trying to do everything, the latest thing, jumping on the newest fad, but neglecting the core things that can really move you forward. And most Christian denominations are very guilty of this. They forgot what they were originally all about. They forgot the basic gospel message of salvation through Jesus Christ. And that's the greatest tragedy of what has happened in the last 60 years. People who as church leaders somehow think that you can be a Christian without having the lordship of Jesus Christ at the core of everything you do and say. The Presbyterian denomination in many ways tried to do everything except make committed disciples of Jesus Christ. We got into all kinds of political and social issues and neglected the very heartbeat of the church. In some ways, then you actually stop being the church. I mean, you may still have the word in your logo, but if you've cut yourself off 
from the head of the church, Jesus, you're really just a lifeless corpse. And so you're left with an institution with a lot of tradition and symbolism and ritual, a lot of religious-sounding terminology, but you're no longer the real church of Jesus Christ. And friends, I really mourn for the loss of the great spiritual heritage of our Presbyterian roots, a vibrant spiritual history that's really been trampled on over the last few decades. And I don't know that as an institution the Presbyterian church will ever recover. The third step of decline is the denial of real risk and peril. People tend to screen out the things that they don't want to hear. We all do this to some degree, but it's dangerous when church leaders begin to do it, and they only listen to the people who support the plans that they're already working on. They, they minimize the risks of what are out there. A closed circle of advisors is always a bad thing, and that's certainly been true of our denominational leaders. Warnings were given time and time and time again that have been completely ignored. I can't tell you how many meetings I've sat in over the years where I and others have voiced very clearly the need for radical change and a return to Jesus Christ in our denomination. Meetings where I was politely and sometimes not so politely ignored. And now, unfortunately, the time when many churches could have made the changes necessary to survive and thrive, well, that time for them has passed. That ship has sailed, and they no longer have enough strength even to move forward. The fourth stage of decline is what Collins calls grasping for salvation. In other words, when people finally recognize that something's going on, that a downturn is happening, they start looking for that silver bullet, hoping that there's an easy fix. It usually comes in the form of a new pastor. Let's get the superstar personality pastor, the uber preacher who's going to be the white knight, is going to ride into this church and save everything as long as we don't have to change too much. Or maybe it's a new program, you know, that next fad. It's a different style of worship. It's a new this. It's a shiny that. It's a more exciting one of these. Some better technology or something like that. It's a kind of delirium that sets in as churches then start lurching from one side to the other, trying to find this magic thing that's going to cure their problems. But it's usually coupled with then a huge blame game when it doesn't work. Some silver bullets will work for a little while, But as the pressure mounts, the hidden cracks begin to appear. Gimmicks almost never work. What works is a commitment to doing the basics well. Preaching the gospel, caring for people, worshiping with heart and soul, developing leaders, making disciples, bringing people to Jesus Christ. Well, the final fifth stage of decline is what is called capitulation to irrelevance or death. If a business can run out of cash, churches can run out of faith and spirit. And then they just run out of people. There's a sense of resignation of just kind of giving up. I see this at work in our denomination in a big way. You may not believe this, but there are now seminars for pastors to be trained in doing what they're calling church hospice ministry. And what that means is you're getting trained to help churches die. Is there anything sadder than that as a calling for a pastor? These are pastors who wouldn't dare go to a seminar on evangelism or church planting or church growth, but they'll learn how to help a church die. It's so sad. Churches that see no hope, 
And so they just lie down and wait for death to come. Well, those five stages are all pretty devastating. And thankfully, we can be wide awake to these challenges and do our very best to avoid all of these pitfalls. We'll face our share of hurdles, no doubt about that. But we're moving forward at a good pace with a healthy sense of dependence on the Holy Spirit. I think a a healthy sense of humility, a deep desire to strengthen other like-minded churches and to serve the whole body of Christ. And honestly, for most people, nobody really cares that much about the denomination anymore. It's already irrelevant to what we do on a daily basis. People don't get involved in this church necessarily because it's Presbyterian. People come here because they know we preach and teach Jesus Christ and that his spirit permeates everything that we do. People sense that there's something different here in the way that we care for each other and the way that we preach and teach the gospel. As Paul encouraged young Timothy, preach the word. For the time will come when people will no longer listen to sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. And that's what we're committed to do here and into the future, to preach God's word. That's the core that we can never neglect. But there's one challenge I want you to take away with you this morning. I really want you to double your desire to share your faith. Wherever you are in terms of your faith sharing right now, I really want to challenge you to double your desire to share your faith. I want you to remember that during this time of institutional church decline, people's interest in spiritual things has not declined at all. In fact, it's just the opposite. Every bit of research says that people are more interested in spiritual things now than ever before. It's just that people don't automatically look to the institutional church for the answers to their spiritual questions. The church at large has kind of lost its credibility in the minds of so many people. But there's a tremendous spiritual hunger out there that we should be actively and intentionally trying to tap into. Now more than ever, we have to take seriously our need to share our faith and to spread the gospel. Just as there was a sense of urgency in Paul's words to Timothy, we need to have a sense of urgency or intentionality about sharing our faith. But you have to realize we can't do it like it was done in the past. You have to realize you can't just invite people to come to church. Because of their negative feelings, people have developed about religious institutions, you know, saying to somebody, would you like to come to church with me? It's sort of like saying, hey, would you like to go to the dentist with me? Let's go get our teeth filled. You know, that's kind of the well, that's what people hear when you say, would you like to go to church? So don't invite people to church. People are not interested in church, but they are interested in developing a deeper relationship with God, a deeper connection with life's meaning that only Christ can give. Your faith sharing is not about the church. It's about what's in your heart. It's not about religion. It's about the God who has touched your life and has changed it. It's like these words from a song by Jason Gray. I need more than a truth to believe. I need a truth that lives, a truth that moves and breathes to sweep me off my feet. It's got to be more like, like falling in love than just something to believe in. More like losing my heart than just giving allegiance. Deeper and deeper, it was love that made me a believer. 
in more than a name, more than a faith, more than a creed. Falling in love with Jesus brought the change in me. That's the kind of witness we need to get excited about. And that's the kind of witness that will touch the lives of the people around us. Falling in love with Jesus, that's the key. So don't invite people to church. Instead, invite people to a deeper experience of God through Jesus Christ, through sharing your life with them, your passion for Christ, the way Christ has changed your life. The church, the church is just a pathway to Christ, to an authentic faith. It's just a doorway to the life that Jesus wants for people. So don't invite people to church. Invite them to fall in love with Jesus. And folks, that's a vision that will keep this church alive for many generations to come. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you just for the vibrancy of your spirit in this congregation. And just for the way, Lord, that we seek to be about the core things, the important things of honoring and serving you and of making disciples who will bring glory to you. And give us a passion for that, Lord. Help us to kind of shake off our complacency about sharing our faith. And yes, our church is doing fine, Lord, but there's a bigger world out there, and we need to be a part of that world too. We need to be praying for other churches and praying for the pastors, Lord. Some of them still need to be converted to you. They don't even know you as their Lord and Savior, and they're in charge. And so, Lord, we just pray that you'd put this passionately on our heart as we think about our future here in New Jersey and the greater New York City area, increasingly becoming one of the most secular parts of the world, Lord. We need to stand tall for you and to clearly and boldly proclaim that you can fall in love with Jesus because he's the answer to all our needs. We give you praise and glory now. In your name we do pray. Amen.